Cultures for Innovation. Raise your hand if you don't want an innovation culture in your organisation. Of course, if you ask this question in any gathering of managers, it's a fair bet you won't be seeing a sea of arms waving in the air. After all, who'd want the kind of organisation in which people went around with their heads down and their brains running in neutral? Who'd like to work in the sort of place where people were afraid to try things out or to experiment? Who'd stay with the kind of organisation that wanted them only to do as they're told and not to challenge or play? Now, if we're serious about wanting an innovation culture, then we need to be clear about two things. What do we mean by an innovation culture? And what steps should we take to get one? So let's start with that first question. And it's a big one. What is an innovation culture? And before we look at an innovation culture specifically, it's probably worth understanding what any kind of culture is. Well, one useful starting point comes from the work of former MIT professor Edgar Schein, one of the leading experts in organisational culture. And according to him, culture is, at its simplest, a shared pattern of beliefs which shape our behaviour. Quite simply, it's the way we do things around here. Now, his model suggests that this starts with our own beliefs and values, which shape how we behave. And that's all we'll need if we're solitary hermits. But since we interact with others, we come to a pattern of shared beliefs and values, leading to commonly agreed behavioural norms. These become practised and refined, so eventually they are the way we do things around here. And behaving in this pattern means we tend to create artefacts, things that reinforce and express our culture. For example, in the office, there are patterns of behaviour reinforced by the policies, procedures, processes, the physical layout, all sorts of things. It's worth thinking about this idea of artefacts. We know a great deal about ancient Egyptian life without actually having met a single ancient Egyptian. Instead, we can reconstruct the pattern of shared values, behaviours and beliefs from the artefacts found in tombs and pyramids. So, a culture is a pattern of shared values and beliefs leading to shared behaviours. And an innovation culture is just that. The kind of beliefs and behaviours we'd expect to see in a place where people believed certain things about innovation are important. So, what are the kind of things which might be valuable and which we might use to shape our innovation behaviour? Well, one place to look might be to study great innovators and see what they would say. And we don't have a shortage of pithy quotes to help us. For example, good old Steve Jobs. To turn really interesting ideas and fledgling technologies into a company that can continue to innovate for years, it requires a lot of discipline. Or someone else who knew a thing or two about innovation, not just doing it once but able to repeat the trick many times, Thomas Edison. And he said, nearly every man who develops an idea works it up to the point where it looks impossible and then he gets discouraged. But that's not the place to become discouraged. James Dyson, some of the best inventive moments are born out of wrong thinking. Most people start with the right way, so they all follow the same path. The wrong way might lead to mistakes, but they're things from which you can learn and create new discoveries. 
the kind of original ideas that come to life when we dare to be different, keep an open mind and have no fear of failure. And lastly, Richard Branson. Innovation happens when people are given the freedom to ask questions and the resources and the power to find answers. Now, there's plenty more of these kind of quotes, but we should be careful not to take all of this wisdom at face value. For example, would we be happy following Nikolai Tesla's beliefs and behaviour patterns? He was undoubtedly a great innovator. In fact, about the only thing he didn't have a crack at was the vehicle which now bears his name. But he was also slightly odd. For example, he was obsessed with the number three, washing his hands three times in a row and walking around a building three times before entering it. Tesla's typical of many great individual innovators. As Melissa Schilling eloquently demonstrates in her book Quirky, which is a story of traits, foibles and genius of breakthrough innovators, these kind of people are often a bit eccentric. Now, to counteract this individual quirky effect, we could look at pairs and trios of innovators. And again, we've got plenty of examples of them. Procter and Gamble, Hewlett and Packard, Jobs and Wozniak, Gates and Allen, Brin and Page. What's interesting here is that it's often the differences in the way the individuals believe and behave which gives rise to the innovation culture in their organisations. The way they spark off each other helps create the kind of values and behaviours which work. We can see this even more when we look at high-performing innovation teams. Now again, there's been a lot of research in this space and a key message emerges. Diversity matters. Meredith Belbin's famous studies of group roles, which effectively capture behaviours contributed by different individuals, show that Apollo teams, as he called them, which were made up of many similar brilliant minds, are not actually very good. The best performance comes from a mix of varied people. And we can see this particularly well if we look at organisations in the creative industries, where innovation is a crucial survival factor. It's not just great people coming up with bright ideas. It's also a battlefield of arguments about shaping those ideas into something which works. Conflict and argument aren't bad. The key is being able to work with them. Pixar, the studio which brought you Toy Story, amongst many other award-winning films, is famous for this. As Ed Catmull explains in his excellent book, Creativity, Inc., Overcoming the Unseen Forces That Stand in the Way of True Inspiration, success isn't an accident. It comes down to finding a way of working which is challenging and stretching. So, an innovation culture involves core beliefs and behaviours that are not just about being prepared to suggest and create, but also about articulating and enabling constructive conflict, as well as adapting and pivoting ideas in the interests and directions of better ones. And this also brings in the idea of leadership. Somebody there who helps reinforce and guide the culture, but who also gives it a sense of overall direction. In his book, The Illusion of Leadership, author Pierce Ibbotson makes the point that a great theatre or film director doesn't impose his or her ideas, but instead works with the situation and the emerging ideas. The role of the director, the leader, is to channel and shape them. 
And we can see this in famous examples of innovation teams which have accomplished extraordinary things, such as the original Skunk Works, which produced a jet fighter from zero in six months, or the fascinating exploits of the pioneers of the auto component industry, the so-called barn gang working under Charles Boss Kettering. Prototyping and fast failure are not new ideas. They're deeply rooted in this kind of experience. Now, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Recipes of this sort are powerful in the small focus teams in a theatre or film, or indeed in the startup, where there are high uncertainty and need for creativity and a strong sense of shared purpose. But what about growing? And what about larger organisations? What about the public sector, where the core tasks are often about reproducibility and consistency? What about maintaining levels of service and quality? How do we build an innovation culture here? Well, the answer is not to look for a one-size-fits-all solution. Trying to turn the whole organisation into a startup is likely to bring it crashing down. Equally, running it as a business-as-usual supertanker runs the risk of crashing slowly but heavily onto the rocks because of an inability to turn fast enough. Instead, it's about looking to identify and build subcultures, coherent and complementary ways of working with the innovation challenge. A handful of the top-level beliefs about the importance of innovation can wrap around everyone. But there's scope for variations on the theme as the organisation confronts different kinds of tasks. It's a little like tribes uniting behind a leader, pooling their distinct strengths and skills to create a powerful country. For example, the organisation might have a mainstream R&D group, research and development team, but it also recognises the need to think outside the box and explore potentially disruptive innovations for which it might use an entrepreneur lab. It might have core innovation routes to market, but also sees the need for a corporate venture group to examine various ways of exploiting their knowledge base. At its heart, it might be running a collaboration platform enabling high involvement across its workforce, aimed at delivering a steady stream of continuous improvements in its products, processes and services. And it might be exploring new ways of working with users, deploying crowdsourcing and other tools as it seeks to open itself up to a changing innovation game. Now, all of these and others will require a commitment to innovation, but the kinds of behaviour and underlying beliefs to support that will vary considerably. It's not a case of one innovation culture being better than the other, but rather the need for diversity and approach to deal with a complex external challenge. Now, this idea of diverse parts of the organisation innovating in different ways isn't a new insight. Way back in the 1960s, Tom Burns and George Stalker carried out a seminal piece of research looking at cultures for innovation. They examined disparate environments and found that there was innovation in all of them. But that innovation took different forms and involved various different behaviours and belief. Their work identified a spectrum of innovation cultures with two poles. At one end of the spectrum were mechanistic cultures – concerned mainly with incremental innovation, doing what we do, but better. Now, typical of this kind of culture would be a production line or call centre, where there's certainly scope for innovation, 
but where we don't necessarily want radical change. Would you be happy, for example, if the factory worker helping produce the drugs which you take for your health suddenly decided to approach his or her job with the mindset of a disruptive innovator? Now, at the other end of this spectrum, we'll find the research and development lab or the startup boot camp, a place where it is legitimate to take big risks, to challenge and break taboos, to disrupt and to accept a high level of failure as part of a learning journey. Smart organisations today try to create different vehicles for their innovation journey, building complementary subcultures which work together to deliver the context in which ideas, big and small, incremental and radical, can combine to create value. It's the same pattern in both the private and the public sector, mobilising people in diverse ways to contribute to innovation. (laughs) 